Blog Talk Radio. My name is Raina Starr. Dorian Wallace has the afternoon off. Welcome to the first episode of Afternoon Tea with Laura, Perry, and Raina. But before we get to that, we have to thank our sponsor, of course, the one, the only, the incredible Dorothy Morrison, Wicked Witch Studios. Go get your products from wickedwitchstudios.com. And if you need your goods shipped overseas, check out theangrycauldron.com. They also have their own line of pretty fantastic stuff as well. Uh, In addition to that, if you're new to the show and you just happen to be capturing this afternoon edition, welcome. Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if bad language, dirty talk, or something I might say might offend you, this may not be the show for you. But if you don't care about any of that, welcome. (laughs) With me for the hour is my wonderful guest, the amazing mystic woman herself, the, the, my, my mistress of minnow and everything, the lovely Laura Perry. Hi, Laura. Hi, Raina. How you doing? I am doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances, which is probably about the way a lot of people are doing right now, I think. For sure, for sure. A lot of people are out of work, whether or not they want to be. Um, A lot of people are waiting for a stimulus check. I don't know when that's coming. Um, So as an independent artist, how is this change affecting you? Um, The main thing that it's done for me is, uh, because I work from home, so that hasn't changed, Um, except that I'm now having to work from home with both a husband and a college-age daughter underfoot, which is interesting. Um, I will preface all of this because, okay, so I'm going to whine probably. So I'm going to preface all of this by saying I recognize that I am extremely lucky and privileged to be sheltering in place in a very nice suburban home with a big yard, you know, and, and my family is currently healthy and uh, mm-hmm. and we're doing all right for now. So please, I, I understand that a lot of people are not in, in nearly as um, positive of circumstances as we are. So please don't take any of my whining to mean that, <clears throat> that I don't recognize how good I do have it, relatively speaking. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, um, I mean, working from home has its own set of uh, interesting qualities to start with right because you have boundary issues um i have a husband who loves me dearly and who actually respects everything that i do but has not yet comprehended that um standing in the doorway and saying knock knock somehow he thinks that somehow magically doesn't interrupt me Um, Uh uh-huh so yeah so you know stuff like that (laughs) boundary issues i'm working um 
But uh, in terms of in terms of the big picture, um, I'm a writer and an artist, and I have a lot of friends who who do things along those lines. And what we are seeing is that um, this whole worldwide situation is changing the industry. Um, yes, it's changing publishers. It's hitting publishers really hard. Um, really, it's yes, um, it's. There's a surprising amount of of uh, the publishing world that involves people in person, um, and it's ah. uh, yeah, and and there's the international shipping issue as well, and all kinds of things like that. Um, we're not sure what the economy is going to look like, um, so publishers yeah. are are not handing out contracts right now because they don't know what yeah. their bottom line is going to look like in six months. Um, yeah. And for self-publishing, you know, that's the same thing. If you're going to put the time and the money into self-publishing a book, you know, is it going to be worth it? Um, Interesting. See, because so, yeah, as somebody um, who doesn't write, I, I, I look at publishing, I guess because I have a lack of knowledge, and I thank you for being here to give me this, this bit of the education. Because I'm not a writer, um, I always look at publishing as, oh, of course we're going to get a slew of new books because this must be a perfect time for people to get their books published, everyone's stuck at home. I don't think folks are realizing what you just said about publishers not knowing what their bottom line is, so they've kind of put a stop to handing out contracts. That's interesting. Or at least have, have slowed it down, slowed the process down significantly. The publishing industry, except for maybe the small handful of really big publishing houses, um, the publishing industry yeah. runs on a really narrow margin. They do not ah. have lots to spare. <clears throat> and yeah. so when the economy gets dicey, it gets really hard for them, especially the small and mid-sized houses, um, which are the ones that I really like to, uh, to support. And I right. mean, it's totally, it's purely a business thing. They don't want to collapse, and that's understandable. Um, but yeah, and then, and yeah. then there's the issue of uh, no book fairs, no pagan festivals, no events where we can show up and show off art or books or whatever to the general public. Um, and so yeah. that that as that aspect is closed down as well. Um, People are buying books. Um, I know I am, <laughs> and and everybody yeah. else I know is because because we're stuck at home, you know. And uh, right, right. And you know, thankfully there are a million different places besides Amazon to order books. So you know, books are still coming. Um, my UPS guy very carefully um, sets packages on the far edge of the porch and then backs away. <laughs> Because I'm sure yeah, he's very I, concerned seen, about. Uh, sure, I'm sure everybody who actually does any kind of actual delivery. Uh, as a matter yeah. of fact, the CVS down the road, and I'm sure many CVSs now are doing at-home delivery, so folks don't have to be in the store. Because right. you know, on average, about half the people that go in to pick up a prescription are there because it's a medical need for something relating to an illness. I'm actually right. waiting for a delivery from, from CVS right now for my usual meds, nothing, nothing related to an illness at all. So I'm very blessed and fortunate. Now, 
on the other side of, and it's interesting because while you're, you've got everyone at home, everyone at our place is still out the door because I have a mate who's in shipping, which is, of course, essential to keeping the economy running, what, le- what left of it there is. I have a child who yeah. is in, in groceries, so he has to go out every day because he's on the front lines of that. And I'm in occupational services, and I support hospitals, police, and all of the other necessary things uh, that go on in the world. So we're all out of the house right now um, and and actually working. It's very scary, and it's very not scary because you're not – I mean, you can get paralyzed by the fear or you can just continue on as though – you know, this is just a new phase of life. And, you know, I'm upset about the fact that all of the the pagan events I wanted to go to so far this year have been closed down. I still have a lot of hope for Mystic South because that's not until July. And, right. uh, you know, they're great people and, and they're watching and waiting to see what happens like the rest of us. My concern yeah. about festivals and, and conventions is pagan folks by nature are normally, you know, a pretty close collective and, you know, we sure like our share of hugs and I think this has just really changed the nature of all of that. And I don't know how we're going to, I don't know how to react in a post-pandemic world because I've never yeah. had experience in a <laughs> pandemic world. And and I can only imagine, you know, if we're having this much trouble, given our level of technology, you know, what did ancient peoples do? I mean, you know, and, and you're kind of my expert on this. So, you know, what what would the Minoans have done? What what happened in their time? Okay, well I wanna I wanna segue back by way of the early twentieth century, if that's okay. Okay. Um, of course, because it it has been a century since we had a big epidemic, and um, essentially there's no one left alive who remembers what the Spanish flu was like, right? Mm-hmm. 1918 to 1920. Yeah. So there's that was a hundred years yeah. ago. So there's there's no one alive who remembers, really remembers what that was like, um, and so I guess you know we've got antibiotics and we've got all of our wonderful modern medicine and I think that has probably made us a little complacent and so yeah. getting hit by getting hit by this is uh is kind of scary um cuz it's uh, a reinforcement of the fact that we're not always in control um mm-hmm. and from from the Spanish flu going on back there were regular um regular epidemics and occasional pandemics meaning all over the world um, mm-hmm. my, my grandmother survived the Spanish flu. Um, her mother, who all the neighbors thought was a little crazy, quarantined their entire family on their rural farm early in the game. And everyone wow. thought she Smart. was nuts. Every, but everyone thought she was nuts, right? Because they didn't understand yeah. what was going on. Um, and only one of her children died and no one else in the family. And my infant grandmother survived. Um, and so that's relatively um, fortunate, I guess, for the time, right? Yes, that's extremely fortunate for the time. Um, 
typically if a family got it, the whole family got it from, from the accounts that I've read. Um, but before that, um, you walk around in old graveyards and you'll see clusters of dates. Um, it's pretty clear from the graveyards around here that there was a cholera epidemic in about 1888 because there are um, all kinds of of uh, graves from that year you can look and see in old graveyards clusters of local and regional epidemics Um, and so until the 20th century that was a regular part of life you know you just hoped that you and your family survived it it was not oh my god this has never happened before it was oh here we go again here's the one for our generation maybe um yeah so it was really common um and that's in large part because people didn't understand exactly what caused disease and also in large part because there was no sanitation um because all kinds of disease traveled in dirty water um so that's Mm. the segue to the minoans because um (laughs) Well, no, because seriously, because they had very advanced plumbing, and you would think, you know, that that's not that big a deal, but um, they had um, they had indoor manual flush toilets. Manual flush meaning you do wow. your business and then you pour a cup of water down it, and it all runs down the drain. Um, they had um, enclosed sewers. They had aqueducts that brought the water from mountain springs all the way into the cities, and then they had terracotta pipes to pipe the water into houses. And this was in, you know, 1800, 1500 BCE. So this was a while ago. So I've been thinking uh, about Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like the Indus Valley people also had something similar. They had some pretty advanced uh, plumbing technology. But, you know, I've been thinking about being surrounded by, you know, what amounts to plague news for a while. I've been thinking about, you know, how ancient cultures dealt with it and what they thought about that kind of thing. And um, apparently the Minoans were pretty uh, well regarded in terms of medical knowledge. Like apparently people thought that they were you know, really great medical people uh, to the point that the Egyptians in the uh, London Medical Papyrus uh, actually wrote down a bunch of cures that the Minoans used for certain kinds of illnesses. Um, Oh. And, yeah, yeah. Now, the cures that they wrote down were at the incantations because, remember, religion wasn't really separate from the rest of life back then. So you would give up in the herbal remedy and then you would say the appropriate incantation over them right because you got to do wow. both um right and so i've i've wondered if maybe other cultures um that the minoans were in contact with thought that the minoans were somehow like special or magical or something cuz they didn't get sick as much as everybody else hmm yeah right cuz I mean, they must have had lower rates of at, le- of at least the kinds of diseases that are waterborne, like cholera and dysentery and stuff like that. Um, right. And then they also well, were would... an island. Yeah. 
So if there was an epidemic right. going, they could just close their port. Right. But it seems that they were just really more advanced in in regards of hygiene, you know, to begin with. And, you know, I have no way of knowing how separate or affectionate folks were back then. And I wonder if the whole idea of, you know, everybody hugging and kissing is a newer thing or... Or, you know, are we doing something that was considered maybe taboo in their time? I don't know. Um, There's a lot of art that shows, Minoan art that shows people um, holding hands or um, grasping somebody else's wrist in what looks like an affectionate gesture. Um, A lot of pictures, oh, some of the the frescoes that show big events um, like at the Knossos Temple Complex, show huge crowds packed really close together. Um, Interesting. In in the outdoor um, theatrical area along the West Plaza. Um, so yeah, I don't know hmm. that. Uh, I don't know that the sort of sense of personal space was necessarily a whole lot different from what we're used to. Um, ah, maybe although, it's you know, just all a different we have, all we have to of- judge from. Yeah, I mean, all we have to judge from is the art, really, but... Yeah. That is an well, interesting thought. I would thought. think I'd... that their art... I would think their art is indicative of, you know, I mean, what do you paint? You paint what you basically know. You know, in that time period, what else would you... You know, what other influence would you oh, okay, possibly yeah. have? You Good know, point. so I would assume that that's why, you know, that I and I think that's why a lot of the ancient art that we see is person driven because that's that's all they've got you know they don't have the internet or you know astronomic astronomy things to look at necessarily as something you know that they would relate to as something to paint maybe they would i mean i really don't know i'm kind of talking out my butt i'm just guessing but i assume people for the most part back then would you know would basically be painting what they know because that's that's what you see every day, and you know maybe that's an indication to other folks who belongs to whom, and you know, I don't know their language. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody does, so that one's still a mystery. Yeah, I know, but, I know. But yeah, so, that, I mean that's that's a really good question. You know how how can we tell what's typical and what's not in terms of you know, how close people get physically on a regular basis. Like maybe those huge crowds at the temple complex were unusual and that's why there's a painting of them. You know, I don't know. Although personally, personally, I think there were huge crowds on a regular basis because they have what amounts to stone bleachers um, at all Ah. of the temple complexes that look like they were designed as crowd seating. So... And people had to come up with interesting ways to have entertainment. I mean, you know, I, I think, and that's an interesting study too. What did ancient peoples do for entertainment? You know, was it some sort of combatant thing or was it an animal thing? Did they basically do farm shows with their animals like we have now? I mean, it could be any number of things. It could be announcements of what's going on in the village. I just find it fascinating. 
it is interesting that that on a fairly basic level, on a certain level, life really hasn't changed like ever, because it's it's all <laughs> the same thing. You you have no seriously, you have the place where you live, and you have the work that you do, and you have the food that you cook, and the people that you hang out with, and the cultural things that you do for entertainment and for religion and. You know, there may be uh, education in there somewhere or apprenticeship or something like that. But, I mean, on a really basic level, that's what human life has always been and still is. Yeah, that's true. That's It's all basically the same, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Which is why I've always thought that um, science fiction is always funny because they're, you know, they – they predict that, you know, in 50 years it's all going to look like this and it's all so sleek and weird and spacey and we're not going to eat food anymore. We'll get our nutrition in pills. And I look at all of that and I think, do you know how much resistance there is for the for changing anything? <laughs> I mean, look at how little <laughs> the basic design of houses has changed in hundreds and thousands of years. You know, look at how, oh, how little the the overall basic design of clothing or, and heck, we're not giving up food. I mean, no way. So are you kidding? Have you seen me eat? <laughs> Wait, you have seen me eat. I like to eat. <laughs> food is one of life's yeah. most marvelous pleasures and we should appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it all the damn time. Too much, some would say, <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> Especially now, have you? I mean, I don't know about you, but my appetite has increased. <laughs> it is not cute. Yeah, it's that stress eating stuff. Yeah, this is when uh, when my first child was alive. I gained a hundred pounds from stress eating. It was, uh, oh, and I was all I was all the way there before I realized what I had even done. So, yep, yep. People think, you know, well, you could have stopped yourself. No, you know what? You don't even realize because you are not focused on yourself. You are focused on everything else. Especially now, I find myself not even, I am so self-indulgent to begin with. It's just, it comes from having a really bad childhood. But I'm so self-indulgent as an adult that I give in, especially under severe stress like we're going through now, if I want yeah. ice cream, I'm eating the ice cream. I was just having this conversation with Thorn Mooney the other day. I'm like, girl, my waist has increased. <laughs> I am eating like there's no tomorrow because there may not be. I mean, I've had really – this has been very tough for me because I have a, a relative in New York who is on – um, dialysis, who started dialysis oh, a month and a half ago quite suddenly, who's elderly. My only other living uh, person is also even more elderly. She's 80. Um, so I can't get to anyone if something serious on top of their normal day-to-day happens. And they're oh, in New man. York, so I can't travel. I'm not, I have to actually get permission from my corporate office to travel out of my state. Yeah. Which I will not be given. I won't be granted that if it's to go to New York because I would be putting not just myself at risk, I'd be putting my entire company at risk, and I would also be putting the people I'm going to visit at risk because they're elderly 
and already in bad health. And if I'm carrying it without even knowing it, I could be transmitting it to them. So, I mean, it's kind of a, uh, I'm, in a I'm in a rough spot with that right now from a family uh, point of view. And my, yeah. one of my dearest friends in the world who just came to visit me last year has now also uh, seems to have contracted it. She's been tested. We're waiting for the oh, results. No. But she's a medical professional, and she knows what she's looking at. And she's like, oh, yeah, God. I think I may have this thing. Yeah, so it, that's pretty bad. So I'm, And, you know, one's in Florida and two in, in New York, and I'm right in the middle of North Carolina. So I, I'm just trying to say, you know, yeah, it, it's going on everywhere. No one is immune. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people are in my boat as far as having a spouse who is like, I'm not wearing a mask. You're going to be a dead person not wearing a mask if you don't put this goddamn mask on. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle, you know, even for stupid shit like that. You would think, knowing how this is spreading, that everybody would be like, you got a mask? I'll take that mask. Thank you. But, I'm, you know, that's just my struggle with it. But, you know. But, you know, what do artists do at a time like this? I mean, you know, tell people where they can get your, your stuff so they know they have more to read. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, my yeah. website is my, okay. My website is my name, Laura Perry, with the word author, as in someone who writes books after it. So it's lauraperryauthor.com, um, and that's all my books. And um, there's also a link to the Minoan Tarot on there. The Minoan Tarot deck has its own website, minoantarot.com. And there are um, loads of pictures of lots of the cards if you want to, like, explore what the artwork looks like. Um, yeah, I don't know what uh, artists do um, – I keep I keep seeing all these things online like keep creating art don't stop and there are days when I just can't so I don't know um, I don't know how it all shakes out in the end really yeah yeah um, we've not been here before you know at this stage of information you know a lot yeah. of people when this first started a lot of people were like oh, it's not going to be that big a deal. And even some friends of mine in the healthcare profession were like, listen, people die of the flu every day, calm down. And just something about this felt different to a lot of people. And, you know, I mean, I had no idea what what was coming at all. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't, because I've been crying since last October when we first moved. And I couldn't figure out why I was upset all the time and why I was so sad. And, you know, I just felt like everything was going to get ripped out from under me. And I couldn't explain it, had no idea. And this thing happening, I think, was maybe what I was feeling. I'm not 100% positive. I do not claim any excessive level of empathy. I don't, you know, I don't claim any excessive level of you know, pre-sentient knowledge, um, I, you know, no clue, just saying. I felt like something was wrong. And now that it's happened, I'm starting to actually feel 
better some days than I was. But it's this is fucking scary because it went from wash your hands, don't touch anything, to well, you know, it can, you can get it in the air now. You can just breathe it in. We don't know. We have no idea. Yeah, well, I mean, and there is this huge sort of collective cloud of grief over it all, and maybe that's what you were feeling because, you know, we're grieving not only the actual illness and the harm and the death, but we're also grieving our worldview that that made us think that we were invincible because of modern medicine and made us think that we were invulnerable. And and also some true. of us are are kicking and screaming a little harder against letting that go than others are. But I mean that that is a huge collective grief too. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. It's you know I, I like to think that we could actually rebuild the world the way more of the way we'd like it to be. I've seen some really fantastic things happen in public where people are. You know, at a at a respectable six foot distance, but they are helping each other, and you know, it, I I just whenever I talk to somebody in a public place like a grocery store, which is the height of all of my outside interaction aside from work, you know, people are just like, if we help each other, we can we can do things better. We have this one more chance. To do yeah. it right is a lot of what I get when I'm out in public. And and I really kind of look at that as, wow, it always takes a tragedy to make something better happen, it seems. I don't know why that is. I don't know why we're so stubborn as a people, but we are, <laughs> apparently. Human nature. Well, yeah. I mean, what's what what's the, the old saying that the, the old pattern has to dissolve before the new one can form? But, you know, we just cling so tightly to the old pattern all the time. That's just human nature, I guess. That's the devil you know as opposed to the devil you don't. And I guess that's why a lot of people in abusive relationships stay because you already know what you're getting. And when you know what you're getting, you somehow learn to deal with it. And a change to that is very frightening because, holy shit, what if it's worse? Yeah, but yeah, a lot of the least, time it's not. Yeah, yeah, but it, but that's the trick that your mind plays on you. At least this is predictable, and unpredictable mm-hmm. is scary. And and when you're in an abusive situation, you already have as much scary as you can handle. And so yeah. you can't add more. Yeah. You can't add more scary to it because it's more than you can handle. You know that's. People who have never been there may not really understand that. It's like, well, why don't you leave? Well, yeah. there's more to it than just that. It, it's it not can simple. Be very, it's not simple. Yeah. It can At be very, all. Very you know, difficult. It's either, sure. I mean, and there's so many factors. Finances. Where do you go? Who's going to help you? Is there anybody to help you? Do, you know, what part of the system do you want to become a part of? None of it? Well, see, and that's another set of problems. You have to be very fortunate to be able to get out of an abusive situation like that. I was actually one of the lucky ones, you know. Um, But not everyone is so lucky. 
You know, it's a hard yeah, it, thing. It's, just, it's a hard, it's a hard, scary thing. It just is. It is. It is. And growing up but, in an abusive uh, situation predisposes you to to pick abusive partners oh, yeah. as an adult. So that's you know absolutely witnessed oh, yeah. my first marriage. Is that so? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, you were probably raised similarly to me in the regard of, you know, there was an abusive parent. As a matter of fact, we're the norm, and, and people laugh when I say that, but when you think about it, it's really true. Um, abuse is more normal uh, to experience than one of those father-knows-best type of situations. Um, oh, God, talk about dating myself. Father knows best. Do any of y'all even remember <laughs> what that is? Father knows best. Robert Young, uh, Nancy Pants, Ronald Reagan's first wife, Jane Wyatt. No, okay. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, but you know what I mean. It's it's not one of those wholesome. Very rarely have I ever found someone who has one of those wholesome upbringings. Um, yeah. Out of three husbands, I have, you know, my most current one, the one you know, is the one who had the most wholesome upbringing. But even that had its share of issues, you know, even under the best circumstances, you know. And I was talking to somebody about, why is all the toilet paper gone? I'm like, because it's the one thing we can control, you know, we want yep. to be able to control wiping our own asses. There's something very fundamental about it. <laughs> and, you know, when you feel like you can't get something normal right away, it's very frightening. And toilet paper, yeah. quite frankly, isn't even all that old. Toilet paper is like, what, 150 years old? Is that, is that old? not that old yeah you know people were well, using most other people things even, you know yeah and most people didn't even use toilet paper for ages after it was invented my uh, my grandfather mm-hmm. used to talk about the montgomery ward catalog hanging in the uh yep. in the outhouse he grew up in north georgia and uh and they would oh, have the wow. montgomery ward yeah and they would have the montgomery ward catalog in the outhouse and he said he used to go in there to do his business and he would flip through the catalog to try to find out and I quote what a woman looked like between her collar and her boot top (laughs) so in other words he was looking at the early 20th century women's underwear section of the Montgomery Ward catalog in the outhouse there you go so what was he using for toilet paper the catalog itself yeah, apparently that's what they did. Yeah, because it was it wow. was the Here's one a... thing. It was it was the one thing paper thing that they had. That I mean, you can't use the Bible obviously, and you don't want to use the almanac because you need that for your farming, and uh, and you don't want to <laughs> use a news and you don't want to use a newspaper because then your butt is covered with newsprint for days. So apparently yeah. the Montgomery Ward catalog was the thing. Oh yeah, I mean and a lot of people like sick. my grandmother. Yeah, well, my grandmother would, you know, back in the day before, uh, I guess not every household got the Sears and Roebuck either, but, you know, they used cloth. They used washable cloth, like like you would a cloth baby diaper. Um, Same thing. 
you know, there was a, a bucket just for that kind of laundry, soiled, soiled stuff, and that would be washed outside, of course, rinsed off first, and then, you know, as, as in-home machines happened, you know, still rinsed off outside, you know, in the garden yeah. or compost or whatever, because manure is manure, and uh, that was it. That was it. That's, that's yeah. what it is. And I see there's a, there's a resurgence of that. If you look um, on, like, one of the Etsy websites or something, they have no paper toilet paper and no paper uh, paper towel. And people yeah. are getting back to the, oh, maybe we shouldn't be wasting all of this paper. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be clouding up the sky. Do you ever smell a paper plant? I know you have. But in general, I mean, it, that and hog farms are two of the most disgusting smells in the world. Um, <laughs> yes. And we're kicking that into the air. Now, here's your progression. You poison the air. You poison the water. A pandemic happens. Because the animals are poisoned, someone eats, you know, the, the animal gets poisoned, it bites another animal, that animal gets poisoned, you eat the animal that got bitten, it's it all, this is the very basic history of how COVID-19 came about. Poison, 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 maybe we should stop poisoning everything as a, as a species. Yeah, that would probably be good. Yeah, so I do see a resurgence of maybe we shouldn't buy disposable everything. Maybe we should actually yeah. go back to some of the older ways of doing things, you know, um, Aquanet off the table, <laughs> you know. My mother had her own ozone situation with the Aquanet. <laughs> but in general, for other things, you know, like disposable toilet paper, disposable paper towels, I'm sure there's 9,000 other things that we are wasting or wasteful with that we need to reexamine. But I think the only way out of this is really going to be to reexamine all the shit we've done in a capitalist society. And, um, you know, when you look around and you, you see that people have only, like one out of every four people in, in this state didn't pay their rent for the month of April. Couldn't yeah. couldn't afford. Didn't have it. a quarter of the people. That's a lot. One in four. That is a lot of people. So maybe things got jacked up beyond a sustainable measure. You know, because from the time I was a child, from the time Laura, you were a child, everything's gone up. I don't remember very much of anything going down in price. There's got to be a story. yeah. It's yeah. It's been steady um, inflation, and the the gap between wages and consumer goods and housing is growing, continues to grow. I mean, I think if nothing else, obviously this is a horrible, horrible situation on both a local and a worldwide level. But mm-hmm. if we can take anything positive out of it. There, there are two things that I see that are very positive out of this. One is that human beings really are, for the most part, decent because I'm seeing so many people helping that, that it's just yeah. astounded. You know, and it, it just it fills my heart. It, it gives me some hope, you know. Yeah. And then the other thing is yeah. this, 
this whole situation has just peeled back the outer covering over a festering system and people are now having to face how awful late stage capitalism really is, you know, how how exploitative and destructive and mm-hmm. anti-life it really is on a very basic level. Um, and if everything goes back to quote-unquote normal after this, I'm going to be beyond disappointed. I'm going to scream so hard it fractures the sky because we cannot live through this and refuse to learn the lesson from it. You know? And that's a big fear I have because humans tend to be very, very forgetful when things get yeah. better. Denials, which is why well, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. But the but the fact of the matter is, is that every time we get complacent, like you said, things happen that are just a little worse, and a little worse, and a little worse. Yeah, a little worse. There's a point where you're you're you you hit the wall as far as how much worse it's going to get before everybody just can't survive anymore. And yeah. when you realize how many people are, people were already in trouble before this happened. The economy was already difficult at best for most, most people. Most of our friends, yeah. most of the people we know, have it very yeah. rough, <clears throat> period. Just, from a, just when things are normal, never mind when things are crap. And they yeah. can't get anywhere. I mean, we have, you know, you know, just as artists are losing money at the speed of light, um, yes. restaurants, people who own um, New Age and witchcraft shops, hurting, yes. everyone's had to close. It's decimating things. And I don't know... And I'm fearful that a lot of our folks are really not going to be able to recover. And certainly no one is going to recover if, they, if they're not supported. And my point with this whole hour is we really need to support our writers. We need to support our artists, you know, the people that create our tarot decks, the people that write our history, the people that do the investigations so that we don't have to into ancient cultures like you've done. Um, These are the people who hold not just the past, but they hold our current memories of who we are now. And these are the people we need to make sure can continue to do that in the future and write the history of all of us. Because just being honest, we're all not going to make it. We're just not. And that's a hard yeah. truth. But it is the truth. A lot of us are not going to survive this. A lot, of the, a lot of us are going to lose someone we love. In my case, I could lose any number of people because of either illness that they already have or the fact that they are coming down with this virus potentially right now. And if it hasn't touched you, believe me, it will. And I don't say that to scare you, but I 
do say it to alert you to the fact that we've got to change what we're doing. We just do. Yeah. Can't sustain it like this. Can't sustain it like this. If you don't think Trump has any culpability, well, first of all, I'm amazed that you're even listening to this show because you already know how I feel about Trump. Uh, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we need leadership. We need somebody sober who knows that they don't know everything, who knows when to turn, on, turn over the reins to an expert to give us the information because we're not getting the right information from this particular person. And it's frightening. He is giving people false hope. The economy will not be back in May. I'm sorry, it won't be. Uh, we're not going to all have a cure in May. It's going to be a number of months, probably 18. You know, be prepared. It's going to be a long haul. Work with your, you know, and just from a purely secular standpoint, work with your creditors. If you've lost your job, if you've lost your income, you know, work with them. Tell them that you have lost your income because of the COVID-19 virus. A lot more. I have gotten more emails in the past eight weeks from people, creditors, who have said, if you have a problem, we will work with you. If you have a problem, we will work with you. Just remember to tell them how you lost your income and what it's due to. And I have to encourage my friends who do not have a typical job, the, the standard nine-to-five where you go to a boss, self-employed folks, please investigate your options for getting government assistance. My understanding is that the rules that were in place before this don't necessarily apply now. If you have directly lost income because of COVID-19, you may be able to qualify, believe it or not, for unemployment in some form. I, I am aware of folks who are independent freelance hairdressers, stylists, who have actually started collecting money from unemployment. So please investigate all of your options. It's really important. Okay, I'm off that soapbox. Sorry. Hey, it's an important soapbox. I mean, what we we need to take advantage of what little system there is, you know. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, it, they're talking the same... about an additional. They're talking about an additional mm. stimulus package after right. the twelve hundred. I, you know, I don't know what they think this 1200 is going to solve. Do they not realize that most rents are at least that now? In most it's, my understanding that, it's my understanding that the calculation was essentially this is a month's wages at minimum wage. Yeah. And that tells you how totally out of touch those people are. But Completely. Yeah, Unless uh, you're living... I mean, people, people by themselves cannot make this. I don't understand how, how they even think that's going to help. You can't cover rent and the light bill, much less anything else. Right. Well, and it's we. You you were talking about uh, the human race having amnesia, collective amnesia. Um, yeah. There's some pretty compelling evidence, and here I'm going to dovetail the Minoans right back into the conversation. Um, there's some pretty uh-huh. compelling evidence that the Minoans had what is called a sharing economy, um, 
Rihanna Ice, Dr. Rihanna Eisler, who wrote famously wrote The Chalice and the Blade, um, talks about that mm-hmm. a great deal. And the idea is that um, it's like it, it is essentially the built-in social safety net that we talk about with social democracy. The idea is yep. that pe- people who um, people who are able will um, stockpile resources to use to support people who need them. So, for mm-hmm. instance, the, Mino- the Minoan temples had huge stockpiles of grain, wine, oil, and all kinds of food, and one of the major features of their culture was communal feasting. On a regular nice. basis, they had apparently enormous meals put on by what amounts to the local government right. you know, for, to, to feed everyone. Right. Yeah. Um and that that was built into the society. It was built into their values and their world view that it's everyone's responsibility to help everyone else. You know, a sort of we're all in this together kind of attitude. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. It's so hard to get people to understand that, especially in the US when we've got this individualistic everybody's a cowboy, everybody out for themselves kind of attitude to realize that that human beings are social creatures. We rely on each other and we need to, we need to reorganize the system so that we can rely on each other in a more, um, in a more predictable and established manner, because that's what, gives us the ability to really um, to become the best culture and the best individuals that we can be is when we have that kind of security. Yeah, okay, so that was I my totally box. agree. <laughs> no, that's, but that's beautiful because, you know, as much as everybody says, nah, you know, we're going to go it alone and, uh, I've got mine. You need to worry about getting yours. Well, when the the economy tanks, it tanks for a lot more than just the regular folks. It it tanks for yeah. a lot of them. You know, it yeah. tanks for a lot of people who thought they had money but really don't. You know, because it all seems to go away unless you're uber uber rich. <laughs> you're gonna hurt. It's gonna make you hurt. You know, yeah. maybe you won't hurt as badly as some other folks, but it's 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 a bit of a leveler when the economy tanks. You know, the last time it really tanked in 2008, 2009, you know, we lived in a modest apartment complex, and then we started noticing that, gee, a lot of people who had owned the really big fancy houses were moving into our complex. They couldn't afford it oh, anymore. Oh, man. Taxes yeah. went up. Nobody had money. And all of a sudden, we were all the same again. Really? Wow, isn't that interesting? I mean, it's not a point for gloating. It's a point for, you know, you had a chance to learn the lesson, and very few people learned the lesson. Well, now something bigger has happened. And it's only been 11, 12 years since that happened. So if we don't learn this lesson, I promise you, the next lesson is going to come faster, and it is going to be worse because progressively the lessons are getting harder. 
and they are getting worse. So, you know, the act of merely being kind is such a lost art that people are actually astounded when they encounter it. What does that yeah. tell you? It's, it says something very sad about our culture when people are shocked that someone is kind to them. Yeah. Like we, had, just, we had a yeah. chain reaction of, of kindness <clears throat> recently when we went to the grocery store two weeks ago and my husband picked up a roll of toilet paper and I had picked up a, I mean a package of toilet paper and I had pick up, picked up a package of toilet paper and we'd been separated and he had picked up two packages of toilet paper by mistake. He was supposed to get one paper towel, one of toilet paper. Picked up two toilet papers and there's a guy at the end of the line and he's all frustrated because he knows it's going to be gone before he gets there because people are queued up to get this toilet paper. So my husband looks oh, at him and sees the guy's really upset and says to the guy, here, have one of mine. I, I picked up two. My, my, you know, my wife only wanted one of these. So he looks at, the guy looks at him and says, I can't believe you did that. Thank you so much. And the guy takes off, and my husband goes to another aisle, and I'm, he, he's supposed to be finding Tylenol for me. And he's frustrated because he can't find the Tylenol. Well, a woman who had seen him give away his toilet paper said, what are you looking for? And he said, my wife wants some Tylenol. I can't find it. And she runs off, comes back, and says, this is what you want, and hands him a bottle of acetaminophen. He didn't realize that was a generic, so she hands it to him, and he's like, I can't believe you went out of your way to do this for me. And she said, I saw you give the other guy your toilet paper. That was a great thing to do. So here, I'm helping you. So I don't know any of this has happened. I'm looking for him. I can't find him. There he is. He's on the line. He's talking to the woman ahead of him. I roll up with my buggy. I've got a package of toilet paper. She looks in my buggy and she says, you have toilet paper. And I'm looking at him and he's got a package in his hand. And he goes and he puts it underneath the cart. And I was like, well, he got a package of toilet paper and I didn't know he'd gotten it. You want mine? And she was like, really? And I said, sure, take it. It's fine. So she grabs it out. She says, I want you to know this isn't for me. It's for a couple that are moving to Winston-Salem because the man needs bone marrow transplant. I went, oh, my oh, God. So we start crying. So the two of us are crying in the line, and she's like, you don't know what a beautiful thing you just did. I'm like, I didn't think it was that beautiful, but I'm crying. I mean, this is it. This is how you rebuild the world. You remind people to be kind. But when this is over, I'm very fearful that people are going to forget. They're just yeah. going to forget. You know? See what we so want the is lesson, for, kind, for kindness and compassion to be so normal that it doesn't make the news anymore. Exactly. Oh, really? There was a time. There had to have been a time when people were just good to each other, just to do it because that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. That's all. You don't have to like dig every cent out of your pocket and give it to someone. That's not what it's about. It's just someone needs help. You know, help them as much as you can. It doesn't even necessarily take any money at all. Just the simple kindness. If somebody looks like they're lost, ask them if they need help. If somebody can't find something, lend them your set of eyes. Look with them. Maybe you can help them out. It doesn't have to take away from your personal pot of whatever it is you've got. 
But it requires a society that reinforces those values and teaches them to the children as they're growing up and, and pushes back against people who don't hold those values. And until society does that, kindness is still going to make the news. Which is just weird. Yes, it is. It's just maybe one day. Maybe one day. Yeah. Well, I mean, if these are the types of things that have to happen to get people back to that, and I'm very appreciative of the number of people I've met who have discussed that, you know, maybe this is the reason so that we can go back to being good and kind and not in such a hurry and not afraid of each other and not, you know what I mean, all of the ills that society has, maybe we can fix it up, you know. My husband used to give, you know, guys who would beg on the street, he'd give them his lunch because he knew he could buy another lunch, you know. Sometimes you don't want to hand somebody money, but you want to help them, get them something to eat, you know. Give your neighbor a lift to the doctor if you can or the grocery store. Or even better, offer to, if there's somebody elderly next door, offer to pick up some stuff for them. You know, we have a next-door neighbor who's, who's about to turn 70. And, you know, I sneak little things over to her house. <laughs> I buy yeah. a few extra things. I probably, you know, a few extra things go in the buggy, you know. And because I know she's also being subsidized by another relative, but that relative is out of town, and it's like, yeah, I know her sister's not buying her goodies. You know, sometimes you want a goodie. I like my goodies. Right. You know, I'll take over some fruit. I'll peel oranges for her. I'll make sure she has fruit and vegetables. Her sister makes sure she has other stuff. Like, I make sure she has cleaning products and toilet paper, shit like that. You know, just make somebody's life a little more comfortable. Just think about somebody else who's not in your immediate family. It's nice. Because when something nice happens for them, they'll want to share it with you. Like she went and she picked these beautiful flowers because she's, believe it or not, still an occasional landscaper. And she presents me this little glass with beautiful flowers. It just made my day. Aw. You know? And that, you know, just little kindnesses count so much. But anyway, I have just gotten the 92nd marker. So, Laura, please tell (laughs) folks again where to get your stuff so that they can come and hopefully support you during this time. Um, Okay. So, books, fiction, nonfiction, uh, magical novels, pagan nonfiction, a Minoan coloring book, and Minoan tarot. You can find all of them on my website, lauraperryauthor.com, and there are loads and loads of places that you can Order all of them from if you don't like Amazon. There are links on all of the pages for all of the places yes. you, that you can get the books and things. So um, support and your the local are also bookstores. In, yes, and also the links for Laura's stuff is on the show page and in the teleca- uh, the uh, podcast page as well. Laura Perry, I love you to death. We will do this again soon. Be blessed. Be careful. Be safe. Much love to you and your family. Love you too, you guys. Take care. Thanks for uh, for the great chat. Thanks for being on. 
We'll see you next week with Patty Wigington's special 6 o'clock show, y'all. Be safe out there. Goodbye.